What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The Therapy is a Christian podcast is all things mental health and Christ. We specifically talk about how mental health and God are merged together to foster growth, healing, and making mental health a normal conversation. I'm your host, Roz and Renee, and welcome to the show. Are you someone that constantly procrastinates? You feel overwhelmed and don't know where to start? You plan a long list of to-dos and they never get done? Maybe you self-sabotage on your goals or things you want to do. Do you know that I've been doing time management coaching now for about two years? Yes, sis. I have coached over 60 plus women on how to better manage your time and overcome self-sabotage and procrastination. This time I want to help you. I'm offering for a very short time one-on-one strategy calls. On these calls, we'll go over all of your needs related to time management, and I'll give you some quick tips to help you learn how to manage your time better. If you're needing that direct help, I've got you. Go to rosalindrenee.com and scroll to where it says book a call with me and go to the link in the show notes to get on my calendar. I can't wait to help you, sis. Now let's get to the show. Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Therapy is a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Roz Renee. Welcome to another episode of the show. And girl, I am so excited about this episode because I'm going to be interviewing my business coach, the amazing Jasmine Chanel. But before we even get to that, sis, because we've been literally laughing for the past 30 minutes before we press record. I just want to let y'all know that if you listen to the Entrepreneurs in Therapy series last year, that you got an opportunity to listen to some of Jasmine's story. But I brought her back on the episode this time, again, to kind of talk about her therapy story because she's now a little bit more into it. And what I really, really love about Jasmine's story is that she's healing while parenting young kids. And so she always is talking about this journey very boldly on Instagram. And so I really thought that it would be good to give a perspective for those people who are parents who probably didn't have the opportunity to maybe heal or even know that therapy was a benefit maybe before having kids. And so I want her to just kind of talk about her story. So Jasmine, why don't you say hey to everybody and tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Hey, hey. So I'm excited to be back and to talk about this (laughs) because I think when we talked, I was like two or three months into therapy. Listen, totally different journey to where we're at right now. But I am a mom of three. I have a one-year-old, a two-year-old, and a seven-year-old who keep me on my toes. And then I'm also the owner of the Mom to Mogul program and founder where I help bossed up moms become moguls, helping them start their small businesses and get those off the ground. So I'm excited to chat because Rosalind and I always have a good time together. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And so If y'all are interested, go on her podcast as we're going to talk about my journey being in Jasmine's program, which enabled me to actually quit my job. And I am literally like almost three months in and baby, it is real. But (laughs) I would literally not have it any other way. So we'll talk about my journey on her podcast, which I will link in the show notes for you all to listen to whenever we do a recording she posts. So, all right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your mental health journey first to kind of catch people up and what got you started? Yeah, so I was always interested in personal development. And so I was always reading all the self-help books, watching Iyanla Fix My Life and thinking, oh, I could do that, or oh, those people got issues. And it wasn't until I had my second, no, my my second child, first daughter, that I realized I had postpartum anxiety. And so what I was dealing with at that time was a lot of intrusive thoughts, really bad insomnia, and just feeling like doom and gloom all the time, just feeling like something was about to happen. And I didn't know what it was, but I needed to be hyper vigilant to like prepare for this. And so when I found I was pregnant a third time, I was like, oh, no, 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 we're going to get ahead of this postpartum anxiety. So I don't have to feel crazy. And so I just started to seek out a therapist. And I luckily stumbled upon maternal mental health. 
therapist who focuses specifically on, you know, motherhood and how your mental health affects motherhood. And so I've been working with her for over a year now and just really excited to kind of bloom into this new person. Like I'm a totally different person that was last year, a totally different mom. And so that is how the journey began, just moving from like personal development to really seeing, oh, there's something deeper here and how can I, you know, work through it. Yeah. And interesting you said that because I was talking about this yesterday on Instagram and I was talking about, you know, I've always also been interested in personal development, but therapy is a different type of personal development. Mm -hmm. It's like your own stuff. It's not the advice or kind of listening to other people's experiences about what they did to kind of push through. It's really dealing with your own stuff, which is another layer of personal development, because I think we often kind of run away from that to be able to get to the other side or the other end of it, not realizing that dealing with yourself inadvertently does that. Yes. So kind of talking about that a little bit, as an entrepreneur, what has therapy revealed to you, especially about showing up in your business? So I think (laughs) what's even funnier is that at the same time that I was pregnant with my second child and when I, you know, discovered I had postpartum anxiety was the same time I had become a full-time entrepreneur. So I had been attributing a lot of those thoughts, a lot of those feelings to just the postpartum anxiety, not realizing that, oh, you just made this major life shift into full-time entrepreneurship that is also reflecting back to you things that are unhealed. And so the biggest thing I noticed right away was just those feelings around worthiness. Like even when I would win, even think when things were going well, it's like, oh, nope, this is a fluke. This could not be me. <laughs> you know, it's just something, maybe the coach did it. The coach got the results that I worked with. And it was a lot of things around not feeling worthy enough of some of the success I was experiencing at the beginning, a lot of questioning and self-doubt throughout the process. And so one thing I've learned about entrepreneurship is that when we create that space for freedom, many of us don't know what to do with this newfound freedom. Because up until that point, we have been in these containers that you act a certain way, you get a specific result. Whereas now you get to set all the rules. And so it brought up a lot of things around not trusting my own judgment, not trusting my own mobility, always feeling like I was making a mistake and I was doing something wrong. And eventually everybody was going to find out that I was doing it wrong was a large part of it. And so that coupled with postpartum anxiety really made me feel like, okay, something is going on here. I don't know exactly what it is, but I need to figure it out. And not only that, I'm so glad you said mistakes and really, really just finding out your personal identity. My therapist told me this because, okay, so personality tests are cool, but I feel like I'll be everywhere with them sometimes. I'm an Enneagram 3, I think it is. I don't know. I don't know. But yes. basically, I'm an achiever. I can see so, that. So she said, <laughs> as an Enneagram 3, or even as an achiever, you basically were told your identity your whole life. Mm-hmm. So you having your own identity now becomes hard for you to grasp because it's like, nobody's telling me this is my identity. Almost like as an achiever, Mm -hmm. you're told, oh my God, you did so well because you did this, that Mm -hmm. actually making decisions that don't line up with trying to achieve something actually requires like resting or not doing (laughs) or actually putting stuff down that doesn't serve you or changing your mind and pivoting. Like they become, I'm doing something wrong. I'm doing something wrong. But in all actuality, those are benefits to you, but they almost feel this resistance all the time. And so like, I hear that when you were talking about just like trusting your own decisions, trusting your own things that consequences that may be good, but because of all of intrusive thoughts, because they feel like mistakes, they feel like I'm doing something not safe, risky, Right. Wrong out of you because you've been told to do everything else in this way. And I think a lot of millennials are experiencing that. Yeah. Millennials in general are experiencing that because of this thing of like, girl, I just spent all this money on this degree. And it's just like, this ain't what I'm passionate about no more. Right. And And so up until that point, our safety was in following the rules. Like for most millennials, our safety was in listening to society because we had to think about, you know, that previous generation, that baby boomer generation, they went to work for all those years and they were told the only way your kids will have a better life than this is education, 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 education. And so they, you know, spit those same things down to us. And so I think for a lot of us, when we look back at our childhoods and the beliefs that we have about ourselves, there's safety in some of these masks or these personas. So, you know, you and I, if we share the, you know, achiever 
persona, there was safety in achieving. Oh, this is how I get love. This is how, you know, this is what my identity is. And so I think a lot of what I discovered, I'll speak for myself, is that a lot of my personality actions and behaviors were actually trauma responses. It wasn't my true personality or identity. It was things that I became to keep myself safe in the different environments that I had to go in. And then it was perpetuated in education, in career, in the corporate space, all of those things that worked for me in childhood was perpetuated when I got a corporate job, follow the rules, achieve, meet all the goals, exceed expectations. It was rewarded. And then I moved over to entrepreneurship and I'm like, I don't want to do all of that anymore. But then at the same time, it's like, but what do I do? Like, so it was this big unknown that I had to kind of rebuild from the ground up. What do I care about? What do I value? What is important to me in my life? And that showed up as a result of starting that healing process and going through it and not trying to achieve around it. Because that was the other thing. I was having all these achievements, but it was like, Okay, next thing. So get the good job, check, you know, climb the corporate ladder, check. Next thing. Okay, well, I guess I got to get married and have kids. Okay, check, did that, did that. Oh, you're supposed to be buying a house. Oh, wait, I want to hold off, pay off debt, check. You know, so I was just doing things, but nothing, I wasn't happy with any of it. It was like, yeah, it was good. (laughs) But, and then I also thought everybody else was doing these things. So I was like, Oh, it's no big deal that, you know, I'm the youngest executive here. Everybody's working towards these type of goals. Oh, it's no big deal. You know, we paid off all this debt in two years and had a debt-free wedding. Everybody is doing this. And so I wasn't even celebrating the things that I was doing because those were not the things I truly valued. I was achieving around what I value and still waking up and feeling like, okay, what's next? Sis. (laughs) Sis. So when you gonna plan this retreat so we can sit? Right. Like, uh, trust and me. Have, and have can we have a mimosa? Because you know that's my drink. Can we have a mimosa and talk about all these things, Jazz? Because you know I'm a therapist, so like all these things like get me really excited anyway. But yes, <laughs> listen. If Corona would just pack her bags, we could have all met in person by now. I've had so many moms to mogul moms happen to be in my city in the last year that it pains me that I have not been able to meet people in person. <laughs> So, girl, to also like affirm you for a minute, you went through significant transitions, like entrepreneurship, being pregnant. Like, let's just the, the toll on your body, being pregnant, going into full time entrepreneurship, taking care of a newborn, and then an infant, and then having another baby, right. a surprise baby. A surprise, surprise baby. How long between the second one and the Kari third? Kari was only 10 months when I found out I was pregnant with another one. So she was not even one years old yet. <laughs> Girl, I, I don't even have the edges to think of if I got pregnant right now. <laughs> and then also, like, related to the conversation, the shame about that. Even though I'm a fully married, committed relationship, financially stable, there was shame around the fact that I was pregnant again after just giving birth to another baby in the middle of a pandemic because again, you're taught, okay, space them out. You know, it was just, if she was one years old, I would have felt totally different just those two months of her being 10 months versus and being pregnant again before the baby was even one. There was shame around that all over again. So it was always me placing shame on myself when I'm comparing to society's, you know, checklist when it was even necessary, unnecessary shame. Yes, literally. And so the amount of transitions Mm -hmm. and really quickly to say like the amount of courage and bravery it takes to even do that and also maintain and be a wife and a mom and run a business and show up for your clients. Because you showed up with a girl. I think you were still pregnant with JJ. Yeah. When I joined the program, hey, you were short. This was after having JJ still documenting all of it. That is the other thing that's in the background of my life is that I have documented this process the entire time. Since 2013, my life has been on the internet. And so there's a level of, you know, scrutiny that comes with that. that I put myself under unnecessary pressure to need to show y'all what I'm doing at the same time. But I think in saying this to say though, I think it shows the authenticity of the experience and there's more people who on the other side see it's possible because yeah. I was, in my mind, I was like, you know, what, girl, it's possible. But I've had conversations with people that I didn't even know who knew you. And they're like, girl, Jasmine just showed. I'm like, you're not my business coach. Like, what you mean? You know, my girl, like that's my friend. Okay. In my head, <laughs> but say, to say it's an authentic thing. But I also think, that's part of the process. 
-hmm. even if it doesn't feel that way. And so just affirming you to say that. And I think that that's a brave and courageous thing to talk about that vulnerably. Because there may be people who may think of having another child because they may see that. You know what I'm saying? That to know it's possible. But in talking through that and kind of going through now your healing process, smack dab, straight in the middle of a pandemic, which we all don't even realize burnt us out emotionally. Right. Also in the middle of raising an infant and two under two, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. Because car is two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so two and one. Mm-hmm. Smack dab in the middle of that. What has it been like for you as going through therapy as a parent now? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. It first, it confirms that a lot of what I'm feeling is not crazy. And so for a long time, I thought a lot of what I was experiencing was just me. And I'm like, girl, you need to pull it together. Girl, you need to pull it together. Like, why are you crying about being sleep deprived? It's just sleep. Or like, why are you crying? Because, you know, your husband jumped up and he can go to the gym and you ain't been to the gym in three months and you're just trying to figure out how to fit it all in, but you got to fold laundry. And so the biggest thing therapy has affirmed for me is like, it is normal to have these emotions around what you're experiencing. Because going back to what you said, there's a lot of transitions happening at once. You're already burnt out, but also you are facing day to day things that you didn't get as a child. So I didn't get the space to rest. I didn't get the space to sleep in. And I've created this life for myself that allows me to do those things, but I also sometimes still don't even enjoy it because I feel like I should be doing something. And so the bigger part of my therapy is her saying, you're okay. Like, this is fine. You can create this version of motherhood any way that you want. And so that's a lot of it, but also just learning to feel your feelings and to process them, how you need to process them as they're happening. Cause I was an emotional suppressor. meaning I didn't cry. If you did something to me, I'm just going to turn the other cheek. It was just not feeling anything. And then being in therapy. Now I cry at commercials. I cry at movies. I'll be crying over my clients. I'm like, who is this? And finding out that I'm actually a highly sensitive person, but up until this point, that did not serve me. And so I had to shut all of that down, close all, and we just going to focus on achievement and people pleasing and making sure everybody else feels okay. And we're just going to shut all of this overload of emotions. And so that's the other part of parenting that therapy has helped me with is just a sensory overload, like the noise, the smell, the, you know, the crying, like it is a lot to take in. And depending on how you're raised, that can overload your senses as well. And so that doesn't serve me as a mother to be so overwhelmed and not have the skills. And so it's given me the skills to process what's happening and also like have the tools to do what I need to do in the moment. So for instance, I learned to evaluate now, have my basic needs been met? Like if I'm snapping at the children or if everything is bothering me, sis, did you drink some water today? Have you eaten? <laughs> like I literally have to go through a checklist. Did I get enough sleep? Did I? Oh, that's why. Okay. So instead of shaming and punishing myself, set them up with cocoa melon for a little bit. Go eat. <laughs> like go lay down. You need to lay down for a little bit. So it's really giving me those tools and the space to like process, but also know how to problem solve in the moment. You said something so good. And then I want to go back to the basic needs part because I think we neglect mm-hmm. that unknowingly. Yeah. You said up until this point, recognizing emotions and understanding that you are actually sensitive mm-hmm. and even someone that can't have the ability to feel. You said that it didn't serve you. And so I think as an emotional suppressor, mm-hmm. we think or... Because I can recognize I'm probably not an emotional person. I feel too much. But I also <laughs> think that I'm learning the balance of mm-hmm. this doesn't have to be. But I also think, especially as a Christian, I've even had to learn. And then I'm going to go back to the point that emotions aren't bad. But I also think that there's a very thin line of feeling like feelings aren't facts. Mm-hmm. And I always say that feelings can be a compass to yeah. actually what the real facts are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I also have felt like there have been times, especially in my own like faith journey, to where I've been impacted spiritually by like feelings aren't facts. Like, yeah, but feelings can be a direct compass to something. Mm-hmm. And so going into that and now kind of learning how to feel for yourself, what do you think? What was the thing that made you say, like, it's not bad to feel these things, even though you're hearing it? Mm-hmm. 
you can actually say, no, this is actually okay. And how do you then approach that with your kids so that you don't give them the space where the feelings are almost shamed, Yeah, but that they're okay. Here's the ways that you can work through your feelings yeah. instead of pushing them. So I think like therapy helped me feel that it was okay because you know what y'all do as therapists. Y'all, y'all have us get curious <laughs> and leave us yeah, back around. Yeah, so good questions, sis. Okay, we be asking good back. questions. So she would just be like, and I was like, yeah, I was upset this morning because this was happening. I just really wanted to cry, but there's no time for that. Just like, who taught you that? Who taught you that there's no time to cry? Who taught you that you shouldn't cry? Like, were you feeling sad? What were you feeling? Okay, then, you know, that's appropriate response. It sounds like you were sleep deprived. It sounds like you didn't eat breakfast this morning. That would make me want to cry if my toddler poured juice all over the counter back and forth that I just watched. You know, so therapy really, you know, put that mirror up to who told you this? You know, where did this belief come from? And really had me, you know, step back and say that, see that it was okay. And so the way that shows up in my parenting is I'm not quick to rush in and stop the reaction because that used to be my thing. I just didn't want them to feel scared or sad or mad. So I would rush in and stop it before it happened. And that takes away their opportunity to learn or to take any risks. So if I see you about to jump off the couch or whatever, no, no, no. So I'm rushing in to say, to stop the interaction or if they're fighting over something, I'm rushing in to solve the conflict for them, but that doesn't serve them. And I realized I was doing that from a place of my own comfortability, meaning If they're fighting, I'm going to be uncomfortable because I don't like conflict and I don't like all this noise because I'm a highly sensitive person. Whereas now I've learned to give them the space to kind of figure out what is happening, but also to say, I'm here. If you want to cry, we can cry. Let's think about what are we crying for? Are you feeling sad? Are you hurt? Versus you're okay. Get up is what my normal response would have been. And so really working through that space to help them process, giving them tools. Like my two-year-old knows we take two deep breaths in through it. Now, does she do it every time? No, but I can see that they're taking it in. And this is only over, you know, the last six months of them kind of watching this practice. And so the biggest thing around parenting is giving them the space to feel it, but I'm learning the tool as I'm teaching the tool. So that's the other part of it that makes parenting difficult sometimes when you've experienced childhood trauma is because- Everything that you're doing in that moment to help teach them is like fingernails on the chalkboard in the background for you. So as she's screaming and crying and I want them to be quiet, (laughs) I also have to deep breath and, you know, calm myself as this is happening, because if not, the crying is going to trigger me because I didn't get to cry. Or, you know, I didn't get to just spread my toys all out over the living room floor and just play all day, (laughs) you know? So it's triggering to see all of this mess because, you know, so there's a lot of learning as you go. But the biggest thing is is really seeing that they're telling you what they need in that moment. They're telling you what you need as well. And so sometimes as I'm comforting them, when I want it to go, 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 they're forcing me to slow down because my body knew I needed to slow down too. And so that's why it's so triggering that they're slowing me down because I think I need to be moving. Well, my body's like, you probably want to go do what she's doing. The one who's falling out on the floor because she's tired. You might want to go try that with her, my two-year-old. So it is a very interesting journey. And it's sometimes hard for me to explain to people if they haven't experienced it yet. And, you know, I can just do the best I can with that. And really kind of what you're talking about, you said a couple of good, good things. Learning the skill and practice. But also, I think as parents, sometimes we don't recognize that these kids haven't been living on this earth that long. Right. We have 30 years of life, 30 conditioned years of life. Okay, baby girl. So like they're learning how to essentially be conditioned, but be conditioned in a way that's essentially healthier. Right. That naturally they're giving off the things that are read, we read in a book about tantrums and Mm -hmm. understanding like they want stuff and knowing how to share and like, no, that's mine. And no, you can't have that. They can't conceptualize as a two-year-old, I bought this for you, right? (laughs) What do you mean? You upset because I can't give it to you. I bought this for you. And their minds are like, this is mine because it's in my hands. Why'd you take it from me? (laughs) And so understanding that even as adults, there are adults that get upset when there's stuff taken away from them and yeah. they do, like, you know, crazy things. But really, how do you work through that? And then the other thing. And so I think it's very 
beautiful, even if you don't notice it now, but having to use it in real time Mm -hmm. further, what is happening is the cycle is shifting. Yes. Now the cycle stops because I think the cycle becomes, there's so much I've learned in just parenting in my little itty bitty bit amount of time. But what I've also noticed is that there's a cycle stopping that's happening. Don't recognize how much resistance happens with that. So talk about for you, the resistance that's been like, and even having to explain that to family or not explain it to family to keep a boundary up because, you know, that's an important thing Mm -hmm. because people will try to tell you how you're supposed to parent. Yes. And talk to your kids a certain way. And you'd be like, "Uh, no, don't say that to them. Like, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Out of their way of doing it. So talk about the resistance. Like, what has that been like for you? The resistance is heavy because a lot of times when you're doing this healing work, you may be the only one doing the healing. So only one parent or only, you know, one person in an entire extended family. And so you can go into other spaces and feel bombarded. Like I have gone, you know, into birthday parties and stuff and just people think my kids are acting crazy, but it's like, no, if she doesn't want to give you a hug, I'm not going to make her give you a hug. And then it becomes an issue. But then I've also learned the tools to handle that. So that's the other thing about healing yourself. I feel like I have become a bigger advocate for my kids because I recognize these things very clearly for myself. Whereas before in my people pleasing nature, I would say, well, give her a hug. A grandma wants a hug and let's do this. And I would adjust. Now I don't care about being embarrassed. I don't care about rubbing you the wrong way. This is the boundary. This is, and just don't invite us <laughs> because then they, they might act this way or do this different thing. And so that there's been a lot of resistance around that or people just not understanding, but you have to be okay with the decisions of, you know, what you're making related to parenting. I think the other resistance that comes into play is when you don't have this blueprint, you will go back to your default. And so in moments where you are sleep deprived or something, you will go back to your default because I said so that like, I don't feel like discussing it right now. That doesn't serve a child. That doesn't, that doesn't help them. And so I think the other thing is recognizing that before I go back to my default, let me go read some more. Let me understand. Let me recap what we talked about in therapy. Let me really be clear in what areas that's, I think is the key being clear in what areas your trauma shows up. So for me, it's around discipline and cleanliness because those are the big ones for me and other areas. It may not pop out that much. Like, and so I have to be super vigilant when it comes to cleaning. Am I being too much? Am I expecting too much of a seven-year-old when it comes to chores? Am I expecting too much of the noise level of them to just learn how to use their inside voice when it comes to play? Play was really the hardest area for me as a mother, because I didn't get to play that much. Like the window of my childhood where I played was probably around, you know, from birth to like seven or eight years old. And so my son is right at that age. And so that is the other thing as your kids grow and hit different milestones, depending on your life experiences or where certain traumatic markers happen in your life, you become re-traumatized, re-triggered, reliving certain things because of that age. And so I've learned to recognize in therapy, the age for me was around seven or eight when I became parentified, meaning where I was, you know, taking on a lot of the responsibilities in the house, really helping my moms with my younger siblings. And so I had to act like an adult around that age. And so to see my seven or eight year old have a tantrum about Beyblades, like it doesn't click for me because at that age I was making my own meals. I was getting my siblings ready for And so it's really hard. And so I'm doing my best to protect their innocence. But at the same time, having to, you know, what do you call it? Balance myself in those moments of this is real. I still a really young child. (laughs) Yeah. And you almost feel robbed. Like, yes, yes. that's I remember having a conversation with my therapist and it was so deep. She had to pull me back in because, baby, I was all off on deep end, like real angry with mom and daddy. Like, I don't really want to miss off a shot right now. Like, right. when they talk to them and they say so to me, I'm like, you know what? I really don't have to talk to you. I could really cut you off. But I can't cut you off because I love you too much. I remember crying and I said, I have worked so hard with you for three years, almost four years now. And I feel like in this moment, Somebody is trying to take my identity that I have worked yeah. so hard mm-hmm. to reaffirm. And I said, and I cannot let that happen. And she was like, hold on, <laughs> hold on. 
just like, let's come back. Okay. She was like, you just had to understand that you're triggered and so-and-so may not have the capacity right now. And you have to give yourself grace in the time. I know we're going to talk about that. Yes. Give yourself grace in the time to understand that they have their own trauma. But that was just not that I couldn't grasp because I was like, you coming at me strong. And really it's like, I don't have to do this. I don't have to do X, Y, and Z that you're saying. I don't have to do X, Y, and Z as a parent that you're saying. Yeah. But it's just so hard because you feel, again, it goes back to that, like you said, default. The mistakes are feeling wrong or feeling guilted. Mm-hmm. Also feeling like, dang, as a mom, sometimes I want my mama's advice. Yeah. But what if right now, in this moment right now, or as right. a Mm-hmm. I can't take it and it's not bad and we've even had those adult conversations as I mean we've even gone hey. head to head and be like look sis I think right now in this moment you don't really know how to adult have a parental yes. relationship with adult children and that looks so different Girl. but here's the thing to understand my mama didn't have that experience her mama passed when she was 16 so she never mm-hmm. had the experience of having an adult daughter mm-hmm. relationship wow. so for her she's like I'm just figuring it out on, as I go I'm having to teach her, even yeah. in being in the process. And so I think, talk about capacity for you, even as a parent, because as you're healing, the more you see in your own healing process, you realize the limited capacity the people that impacted you so heavily had. Yes. But as a kid or as a young adult, you think they have full capacity when you mm-hmm. then realize all of that was so unhealthy. It didn't serve me, but it's also not serving me now because I'm repeating a cycle that isn't yes. really going to help long-term. Yeah, I mean, who Capacity it, it, and it forgiveness. Like, I think that's the two-part. Capacity and forgiveness in that. Because you, yeah. again, like I said, you feel robbed. You feel like, mm-hmm. where was my, I remember, and I'll, I'm going on tangent real quick and I'm going to come back. I've always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always knew I wanted to do business. I always knew that. Before I went and got my master's degree, I said, I would just move to Nashville because at the time, that's where my husband was. We were distant for about three years before he moved to Memphis back where we are now. And I said, I'm just going to move to Nashville and figure it out. And I think I'm going to go get my MBA. My mama said, if you don't sit down, and that was when I went and got my master's in social work. But I really think back to myself all the time of, what if I took a chance on myself and figured it out? Ma'am. Okay, you know what I'm Hell. saying? We live the same life. Yeah. <laughs> we are good from the same I literally like, I should have just moved to Mexico and figured it out. But child, you got a whole husband, three kids now. You cannot do that. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, what would I, but but again, now, now again, that decision, you know, God made that work to where now, you yeah. know, I'm doing what I'm doing. But I always think of like, where would me and Nico's relationship have been? Yeah. What chances would we have taken? You know, he even said to me a lot of times when we were dating, you'd be so scared to do stuff. Like, you know, that was even a thing for him on asking me to marry him, just to be yeah. honest, of just like, Roslyn, get off the titty. Like, that's like how he would say it to me. Like, it's okay, Roslyn. Like, it's okay. But I was just like, you know, no, I'm normal. I'm normal. You're tripping. Stop coming at me, okay? You don't understand the level of goodness what you got. What you don't know is I'm really the best you're going to ever get, period. But at the same time, like, again, you feel robbed. So mm-hmm. talk about that and capacity and forgiveness, like all that wrapped in one. Yeah. So I think it, how it shows up for me is not only am I going through this healing journey for myself, not only am I practicing these tools with my children, I am now reparenting my parents because there's a whole new version of me that they are seeing with boundaries and with opinions and <laughs> with, you know, thoughts about things. And so it's new for them. It's new for a lot of people around me. And I think I can recognize a lot of these patterns in my family members as well. Do you struggle with being consistent with God? Or have you fallen off your routine and really need to get back on to spending quality time with God daily? Do you find that when you actually do sit down with God, you don't really know where to start, what to read, and you really don't know how to make your routine work best for you? Well, you absolutely need the Time with God course. So let me tell you all about it, sis. In this course, I discuss with you how you can actually spend time with God and study the Bible. In the first class, I teach you all the tools you need, how you can look at time with God as a benefit and not a duty or a chore, or even feel bad when you don't spend time with God. 
And I even give you some strategies on how you can spend quality time with him where you actually feel like you're building a relationship with him. In the second video, I share with you how to actually study the Bible. I give you over 11 different ways to read the Bible so that you can switch up your time with the Lord. Switch up your time with God and learn a fresh way on how to spend time with him. And if you purchase this course, you get the Time with God ebook absolutely free. In this ebook, I have over 23 different devotionals that you can take part in on the Bible app, 21 different Christian books, 31 of my favorite sermons, and two worship playlists. So you can never say you don't have anything to do in your time with God. Remember, when you purchase the course, you get this ebook absolutely free. So go to risingrenee.com backslash time with God or go to the link in the description. Again, that's Rosalene backslash time with God, or go to the link in the description. Now let's get back to the show. Now, since I've started there, you begin to see how much all of us, like everybody in the human experience, how limited we are on skills and tapping in like self-awareness. You begin to see everybody like, I feel like I'm reaching to everybody around me so they can just deal with the new me. But that's a part of, so forgiveness at the beginning of the journey, when I went into the process, I did not think anything around my relationship with my parents would come up at all because I'm like, they're good, upstanding people. They were there. They didn't abandon me. Like my dad was very involved in my life, even though they were divorced. I still saw him every day. He picked us up from school, all that kind of stuff. You know, my mom was a stay at home mom. She was very active and hands on. I'm like, there's nothing like I'm here for my anxiety. My post. I thought I literally thought I was going to be talking about my corporate America experience. We I have the same all- person. <laughs> Where have you been all my life, Jasmine? I thought it was postpartum anxiety and like PTSD from corporate America and college that was going to come up. I had no idea it was going back to the sixth grade talent show. Like I had no idea that that kind of stuff was going to be a part of it. And so at the beginning, it was a rockiness or shakiness to rebuild the relationship with my mother specifically. And so there was space and distance for a while as I tested out these new skills. And that's the other thing that the resistance that comes up as you're learning these things, it feels hard because you have to retrain everybody else around you how to treat you. And you're like, you don't know how to communicate that to them because you've never had to communicate it. And you're only talking to the therapist every week or every other week. And so like, girl, in between sessions, child, well, what am I supposed to do now? They said this, I did this, they said this, what am I supposed to do? And <laughs> parenting the children. And so it's a lot. So there was a lot of forgiveness that had to happen. And thankfully, my mom is open. And, you know, my sister has been doing this healing work. So we're comparing notes. And so it made it for like the environment that I started therapy is different than most people because my sister had already started healing. She was already sharing her woes with my mom. They had already kind of started the process when I dropped mine and it was like, oh, okay. And so we're on the same page. And so it had to kind of grow to the space for forgiveness. But going back to what you said about capacity, I have a much clearer view of the limited capacity she truly had now that I have these tools and this information about myself, because I asked her, I'm like, mom, I be tired. This is stressful. How are y'all doing this? No, you know, how are you doing as a single mom? She's like, well, girl, it wasn't no time to think about it. Just turn on some gospel music and go on about your day. So I have a new level of compassion for my parents as a result of going through this. And then also I found myself mourning their childhood. So I reached a point in therapy where I was like, it was a whole next level experience as well because I'm mourning their childhoods, my grandmother's childhood, my aunts, just re- seeing all these people that this pattern has been, you know, affecting, but also being like a part of like, I wish I didn't know this. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like every couple months, I'm like, ma'am, I don't want to do this. Like, why? <laughs> this is too hard. But it comes back to that cycle breaking. I realize why nobody has broken the cycle up until this point is because this is excruciatingly painful, but also amazingly rewarding at the same time. And so I see why nobody has done it, but I have committed to doing this work. And so each time I have to go through these moments of snatching the band-aids or the bullet wounds out, I'm like, OK, let's just do it. <laughs> And I'm going to say this, I don't think it gets easier. I think you become just more aware. Mm-hmm. Like I think when I was going through my therapy process and even just talking about it on the podcast, I used to think to myself, God, like, why am I talking about this? Like what benefit, <laughs> what, telling people this? what benefit does this have? Because this is probably one of the most, the hardest thing I've mm-hmm. ever did in my entire mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. 
I'm being literally pulled down to the nubs and bits. And I'm still paying this lady every week. <laughs> like I'm coming back. I think I went to therapy every week for a year mm-hmm. because that's how just desperate I was for just mm-hmm. the shift. But I think like you said, you want to give up so much in the process. You want to actually be like, I'm happy. My week has been glorious. And I come to therapy and I have to, I've had friends describe to me like, girl, I have to schedule time after yeah. my sessions to just sleep because that's how drained I am. Yeah, I call it the therapy hangover. I have a therapy hangover some sessions where I'm like not expected to do anything after. <laughs> and there's those ebbs and flows. And I think there becomes a time where, yes, you get down to the nose, but then there's a level where you then coast. And mm-hmm. I think it's different for everybody. I always say like, even if you're in maintenance, still go. Like I go once a month now because I'm in maintenance. I've even told her recently, I think I might need to move back there two weeks because of just even this new space of entrepreneurship, there's trauma that comes up with that. Like so much different things happen. And so kind of even going into compassion and forgiveness and all of that, how has that shifted in your relationship with your mom? How has it shifted relationship with your husband how's it shifted even the way you want to build relationship with your kids I know those are three different areas yes okay so it has the self-compassion part once I learned to have compassion for myself then I found that I was less judgmental and critical of other people and so up until that point I'm just like why do people need drugs or why do people need stuff like everybody just y'all need to learn how to cope meanwhile girl you're suppressing all your emotions that's what you don't know and so finding that self-compassion allowed me to you know be less critical in judgment of other people when it comes to my mom it really just opened up the communication and so it's very awkward to create this adult relationship with your mother when she didn't have an adult relationship, you know, they, their relationship was kind of built on trauma, but my grandmother did pass away at the beginning of this year. And so it opened up this space for her to really want to like, okay, let's make sure this looks, you know, a certain way. So that has improved for us when it comes to my romantic relationship, my marriage child, setting boundaries with the person that you like that's your person like we have been together since we were very young since college and just think about how much you change between college to having kids and being you change so much and so it has given me new perspective on like okay some of this stuff be you girl because like in the past i'd be like uh-uh you need to get together both of them be us both of them be us child they be they just be chilling then i used to this is just me i used to be like why are you not emotional like why are you so relaxed this is a crisis this is a crisis why are you relaxed like i mean it's cool i'm just like then I'd be thinking like, dang, I should have grew up like you grew up. But I did it. And I just, he, and my husband, he'd be like, it's okay that you're emotional. I'm like, I want to be OG hey, like you. Okay. I'm trying to be OG like you. I'm trying to be gangster. Sometimes I'll say something gangster to him and I'll really be like, that was really harsh, sis. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it, I think it's all of it. And even in the parenting. It's almost like like a child learning to walk again, learning to talk, learn like you are learning how to do these things in the moment. And so with my kids, they are forever a mirror to all the things I am still healing from. And that is the thing about them growing and hitting new milestones. Like I said, a new mirror comes up or a new trigger. And I'm like, what y'all? what i didn't remember this happening at 10 years old but it's because your child wasn't 10 yet and now that they're doing that or they're asking certain questions and so you i think you just begin to see so much of yourself in them so a part of it is like ooh, 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 i want to fix this i want to fix this and then another part of it is the new self-aware part of you is like you can give them the space to be who they want to be and not control this but offer tools and you know access to you as they figure it out so <laughs> I hope I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, like I, I think you said just in all three cases, I think you answered the question. Sis. <laughs> so in that too, how has your relationship with God shifted? Oh, because I that know is, in a simple, in, yeah. a, in like, it's a whole do, it's a whole new thing when you see God differently. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's not this critical. Yeah. Like it's not this thing all the time. And it just, it blows my mind at times because it's that's probably one of the biggest areas that 
I'm still learning to heal it. Yeah. Because it just it's just so much unlearning because you think, is this right? Is this wrong? Is this good? Is this bad? And it's still something I have to learn. But like, how is your relationship with God shifted? Girl, like I feel like that was the theme of this year. He's like, okay, you did the postpartum anxiety work, you did the parenting work. Now you're healing your relationship with your mother. Okay, welcome to <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Let's step into this. I feel like all of 2021 was rebuilding my relationship with God with this new perspective of how he sees me. Because before it was, like you said, the critical and shame, you know, that's how I saw God. Like, oh, she didn't get it perfect. She messed it up. God don't care about me. And then I like start praying again, get back into my practice. And I'm like, okay, because I'm doing my prayer routine, God must want to bless me because I'm doing these things. When he really didn't ask you for all that, sis. And so something recently, literally within the last like four to six months that has shifted about around my relationship with God is just like the adoration, like he adores us. And I hadn't felt that because much of how I receive, you know, affirmation or thing from God, it's just, or from in general was always external. Like you did these good things. That is why you're valuable. You help people in this way. That is why you're valuable. But what I've learned this year, like in my deepest, darkest moment, God is like, I adore you. I I, I adore you. I don't know when you're going to figure this out. I don't know when it's going to stick. <laughs> and so I would literally open up the Bible app sometimes three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning when I have insomnia, my thoughts are racing. And I'm like, I'm not doing this right. I don't know why this not going the same way as it went or, you know, different things like that. It would literally be in the Bible app. I adore you. And it just be written. And I'm like, well, what reading plan is this? Why is this written in this way? I love you. I adore. And so I think that's what he's trying to get me to really take in, not for anything that you've done, not for just for who you are. And I think that is the hardest thing for, you know, depending on how you grew up <laughs> as an achiever. Up until this point, you've only been praised for your achievements. So just being, just existing is enough for God to love me is still like a foreign concept that I'm kind of coming to terms with at the same time that I think I'm coming to terms in therapy of I am valuable. I am worthy just by being, not doing. So this year has been a lot of being for me. Last year, I was doing a lot of doing and getting a lot of achievements while doing. So that felt normal. And so this year by stepping back and resting and, you know, doing less is like, when it's going to drop. But I think God is reminding me like, see, you can just be too. I told you to sit down last year. You don't want to do this stuff. <laughs> so that is the big thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey sis, are you currently in therapy? Then let me tell you about an amazing tool that I created and have been using since I started therapy three and a half years ago. It's called the Therapy Reflection Journal. Have you ever finished a therapy session and thought, girl, what did we talk about? Or a couple of days later, like, gosh, that was such a good point and I don't remember it. Or maybe you want a journal where you can reflect on what you and your therapist discussed to dig deeper into your mental health and really, really, really work on what you and her talked about. Well, I absolutely got you covered since you definitely need the Therapy Reflection Journal. Journal. This journal was designed for those of you that are in therapy that want to take notes during your session, write down homework, and it even has reflection pages for you to dig deeper following your sessions. It's basically your therapy journal to track your entire experience. I found that when I was going to therapy, I always would take a blank journal with me. And when my therapist would ask, okay, so how did you um, reflect on last session? I would be flipping through my journal, like, where did I write that down? Where did I write that down? And I wanted to create a structured journal to keep up with all of those sessions, all of those notes, reflections, all in one. I still use mine to this day, literally. And I even refer back to it when I'm looking for different things. You can start using it today, even if you've been in therapy. So... Go ahead and grab your copy by going to rosalrenee.com backslash journal or go to the link in the show notes. I can't wait for you to use it. The Therapy Reflection Journal is your reflection journal for your therapy experience. Now let's get back to the show. So what would you tell a mom who mm -hmm. wants to prioritize themselves and or even like prioritizing themselves in turn prioritizes their children and helps them in parenting. Mm -hmm. What would you tell them about going to therapy that would be a benefit to them? I would say if you truly care about breaking those cycles, it's almost impossible to do without therapy. Because I mean, you need a trained professional to really show you those areas of yourself and like link it for you. Like for me, it was the connection of the dots. I think I always kind of felt like I shouldn't feel like this. I should be doing this. And it was just always feeling like 
I was doing too much or like, I, it was me <laughs> and it is you, but we need to reshift. How is it you and how can we adjust it? And so I would tell that mom is like the lifetime generational benefit of you getting your healing will go on from generations and generations and generations beyond you just by you sticking to doing this hard work. And even if you maybe don't stick it out, maybe it's not your thing, but just by you starting the process, your children and generations will see benefits from this just like they would anything else just like when we change our thinking about our diet or you know exercising or or just how we show up in the world our kids benefit from those things and I would say get off the fence even if you're scared like I had this whole list of things I was like I'm gonna come to therapy really prepared and I'm gonna tell her what issues I need to talk about all of that was off the table this is not (laughs) a job interview so I really just say take that chance on yourself even if you start off with just once a month or every other month whatever works for you I would get into that practice to start that healing journey yeah 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 well sis this was bomb this was a great conversation like you have got the language to describe stuff that I even was like girl (laughs) yes I mean I'm over here like yes 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 all of that so Tell the people where they can find you and tell them how they can learn more about Mount Tomogo, especially if they're a mom. Yes. Yeah, so if your mom interested in learning more about Mount Tomogo, you can go to jasminechanel.com. You can learn more there. Or I spend most of my time over on Instagram at underscore Jasmine Chanel. And basically what I do is help those moms who have those brilliant ideas in their journals, help you get those out of your journal and turn it into a business so that you can make full-time money and prepare for your corporate exit. I know there's a lot of moms who have that desire to be more accessible to their kids. And so I helped create a blueprint to help you do it, girl. And I'm one of them. (laughs) Okay, y'all. I love you. And we will talk next week. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.